0: We made this. Ladies and gentlemen, it was a cold-blooded premeditated murder.
1: And welcome to a new episode of the Red and Buried podcast. I'm Frankie. I'm Sarah. And today we have a very exciting author with us today. We've got I say today about five times and I noticed that when I edit it. But sorry about that. everyone. Anyway, that's not the important part. The important part is we've got SJ Watson with us today. Hello. Hello. How are you?
0: How are you today, today?
1: Today, I am good today, thank you. Also, can I just check right off the bat, do you prefer Steve or do we call you SJ? Oh,
0: no, Steve is, Steve is fine.
1: Do we call you best-selling author SJ Watson or we'll keep it to Steve?
0: <laughs> uh, ideally, best-selling author <laughs> SJ Watson would be good, but if you know that takes up a lot of time, so let's stick with Steve.
1: We need an acronym, a acronym or something. Or something. <laughs> B-S-A. Anyway.
2: Yeah.
1: So, <laughs> as is customary on our podcast we like to introduce our authors with a little bit of a bio that Sarah is going to tell you that I've written because she never likes to take I was, any responsibility. Yeah,
2: going to say as is customary disclaimer Frankie wrote the bio so any issues directing towards her yeah, um, <laughs> yeah. but I'll do my bit and actually read it. Thank you. Uh, so Steve S.J. Watson was born in the Midlands and worked as an audiologist for the NHS before becoming one of the first peoples to be accepted onto the Faber Academy writing a novel course. His first novel, Before I Go to Sleep, became a phenomenal international success and has now sold over 6 million copies worldwide. It won the Crime Writers Association Award for Best Debut Novel, the Galaxy National Book Award for Crime Thriller of the Year, and has been translated into more than 40 languages. The film of the book, starring Nicole Kidman, Colin Firth and Mark Strong, and directed by Rowan Joff, was released in September 2014. His second novel, Second Life, a psychological thriller, was published to acclaim in 2015. And his third book, Final Cut, is out now in paperback and hardback. He also regularly runs hashtag SJ's Twitter book club, where he and another author, guest, chat and answer questions from readers in real time. When he's not busy doing all of that important stuff and being an all round good person, he kindly gives up his precious free time to lonely podcasters for silly chats.
0: (laughs) That's the best bit of the job, though.
2: Is
1: it?
2: <laughs> is it really? We just started. No. Wait till you've finished the episode <laughs> okay.
1: before you say <laughs> yeah. that. Yeah, edit that yeah. Out. yeah. I'll give yeah. You
0: Permission at the end to edit that out. No, I'm keeping
1: that in, um, and only that. Um, but <laughs> is that is that a relatively accurate bio?
0: Relatively, yeah,
1: yeah,
2: yeah.
1: Good.
0: Um, yeah, I, I, I kind of, I get embarrassed when I hear that kind of stuff written read out, so I kind of switch off. But it sounded more less right. Yeah.
1: Well, it's incredibly impressive. So you should be very, very proud of yourself. Obviously, you. that seems very patronising for me to say, but obviously, <laughs> <laughs> ridiculously successful, which is amazing. So I, I have read Final Cut, and I also I have read obviously your other books as well. And I also treated myself yesterday by watching the film of before I go to sleep because I hadn't oh, seen it yes. for a while. Mm. It's really good. They did is, a great yeah. job with that. Are you thrilled oh. with the adaptation of that?
0: Yeah, I am. I'm contractually obligated to say I'm <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> No, seriously. I uh, no, I am really happy with it. Yeah, I thought it was a really nice kind of um um, you know, in this era of CGI and dragons and everything, which is, you know, great. I love that too. I'm as engrossed as anyone in the new uh, you know, House of the Dragon and all that kind of stuff. It was quite but it's quite nice to um have a film that's Sort of relatively straightforward, you know, 90 minutes, kind of old-fashioned psychological mm. thriller, if you like. Um, yeah. Remind me of kind of a, had a Hitchcockian vibe about it, which, you yes. know, you can't really uh, you can't really go wrong with that, can you? So, yeah, no, I was really happy. I was, and it was a very exciting thing to be involved in as well. And even better because I was only involved peripherally, so, you know, I didn't actually have to do any work.
1: Well, you did all the work right in the book. so <laughs> I know, but,
0: you know, after that it was like, you know, I could just go along and... And uh, sit in the studio and chat to Nicole Kidman. I mean, what's not to like?
1: What? That's ridiculous. <laughs> the, the one thing I think, did think when I was watching the beginning of the film was when she wakes up and Colin first there. I'd be pretty happy if I woke up and Colin first as well. Well, yeah, <laughs> it could be worse, couldn't it?
0: <laughs>
1: yeah, right. I mean, I wouldn't question it too much. you would probably just go along with it. But no. uh, it, yeah, it's re- really good book. And one thing I wanted to ask you from you know reading your books and particularly with Final Cut as well, you play with themes of memory quite a lot. I've, hmm. I've noticed. What is it about the Human memory that fascinates you so much, and, and equally terrifies you to get to add it to a thriller. Well,
0: I don't know. I never sort of sat down and thought, "Well, I th- my theme is going to be memory and identity." But I think actually, it, it is. It is what you said. It is fascinating. I think it's. A, I mean, I am I mean, I've, I, I trained as a scientist basically, so I used to work in the health services. I think you mentioned in your bio, and I was. But I, and although I was involved in children's hearing um, services, you know, there was. I've always been fascinated by psychology and the way the brain works and where the mind works. And you know, the more I started thinking about memory, which was inspired before I go to sleep, it was inspired by the true story of an amnesiac. But as I started writing it, and the more I, I the more I was thinking about memory and how how um, fascinating, and also as you said as well, frightening it, mm. It's the idea of losing your memory because you lose your sense of who you are. And I think you know, the more I read about it, it just it just opened up more and more avenues of, of interest for me. You know, the stories about people who. You know, two people can have a very different memory about a particular event and remember it in a very different way, in a very different sequence. And I think we're all so sure that our memory is almost like a video recording of what's happened. And yet, of course, it's not. It's embellished by our own prejudices and ideas and preconceived notions of stuff. And it's also fascinating when you think that, you know, I I might remember one thing, the other person involved in that situation might remember something totally different. But from a psychological perspective, we're both we're both affected by our memory. We're not affected by what actually happened, mm. which might be a third version of the story. You know, if we were, we were able to watch a video um, recording of the event, it's just so, in- I mean, I could go on and on. I, you know, there was the story of Jean-Charles de Menez. I, I'm not sure if i mm. pronounced his name properly, but, you know, the guy who was shot, yeah, um, or killed, in fact, um, by the police just after the 7-7 bombings in London. You know, our eyewitnesses were saying that they saw him wearing... Inappropriately bulky clothing, jumping over the mm. the barriers into the tube, you know, and and but those same people, uh, when they were shown video footage, you know, at CCTV footage that he he wasn't wearing bulky clothing and he went through the tube barrier in a very normal way, you know, they they claimed that it had been doctored. Their own memories were so so uh, convincing to them, and so strong that imagery image that they had, that belief that they had, was so powerful that it kind of over overwrote. The, the actual objective evidence in front of them, and I find that fascinating. The way that that can, you know, mm. but it is also scary because it. I think basically, this is a very long winded way of saying it. Just gives you a lot to play with in terms of writing a psychological thriller, you know, because because you know every book is about memory in a way because we're all telling events sort of maybe yeah.
1: <laughs> <laughs> that sounds good. I think that's a, that's a very profound uh, statement to make.
0: Yeah, I mean, I'm not sure. I'm not sure why why it's particularly fascinating to me. Just. I think it's just one of those things here. You open Pandora's box and start to research something, and then more and more stuff comes out that you find interesting.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And I think, as you said, it really highlights the lack of reliability from, like, a witness testimony, for example. And mm. and, and it really keeps things interesting. I imagine, as you say, from a thriller perspective. Equally, when you've got not to spoil anything, but it's final cut. But when you have a narrator that is, you're hearing one side of the story from the narrator, and you you know inherently trust the voice that you're being led with when you start a book mm. and then as you get into it figure out oh actually maybe it's not quite as reliable a voice as I thought it was and mm. yeah, keeps things interesting and keeps you on your toes as a reader as well.
0: Yeah exactly and I'm quite interested in that you know you've got unreliable narrators in a lot of fiction mm. but also I am I suppose in, in in those two books in particular before I go to sleep in Final Cut I'm mm. kind of looking at the playing with the idea that you have a narrator who, who is yes again without giving spoilers yeah. <laughs> it's, it's difficult tricky. but yeah, is a, is not only is an unreliable narrator but also doesn't realise to what extent that they're unreliable they don't know themselves that they're an unreliable mm. narrator which I thought was an, you know another interesting layer to unpick
1: yeah it is fascinating how your brain will fill in gaps for you without you even mm. thinking about it a lot of the time mm. Like when they show you those those tests you see online, when a sentence and a word will be missing, and you won't even realise until they point it yeah. out afterwards, yeah, it's really really interesting.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, and I, and, I, and when I was researching amnesia, well, I found that out. When there are holes in story, and there, when there are holes in your in your own narrative of your own life, your brain will will invent something to fit. You that you will then come to believe is true. You know. Yeah. I have a memory of lying in in. Um, My pram as a baby in one particular corner of the dining room in the house that I grew up in. And I spoke to my mum about it and she said, I only parked you in that corner for the first four months while we were decorating the whatever. And it's, you know, so either I've I've retained a memory from four months of age, which is kind of very, I mean, you know, very unlikely. Or what's more likely is that at some point my mum told me that she used to park me in that corner of the room and then when she told me that, I imagined what that must have looked like and then that became the memory that I now have. It's, it's, it's just fascinating. It just endlessly fascinates me, as you can probably tell. Yeah. Look, excuse my dogs, they've now started, they've realized hello they've doing something audio-based and they're now <laughs> going to bark intermittently.
2: They want their time to shine. <laughs> I don't know, yeah. Say, Kay, we love a dog cameo. <laughs> do.
0: Be careful, be careful what you wish for <laughs>
1: When
0: I'm yeah. chasing them around the room
1: and they're swearing <laughs> at them. Oh, it's a shame it's a, not a visual medium we're doing because I'm sure people would love that.
2: So, I guess to go back to your writing process, we always ask every author we have on what they enjoy most and least about the writing process. And we I don't think we've ever had two similar answers, have we, Ranky? <laughs> no. So, very interested to hear your thoughts on it.
0: Well, it's, it, it really varies. I love, I love putting the words onto the page. Although the page is a screen, obviously, Well, mm. not obviously, but I, I write on the computer. But I love that. I love that act of like forming what I, sentences and molding the word. But so that's probably my favourite part. And I kind of hate planning, but <laughs> I, I, I spent all of last week planning, and I really enjoyed it. So.
2: Yeah. It really.
0: I think it just vary It just vary all the time. Oh. You know, it's almost. It, it's almost like the thing I'm not doing at the moment is the bit that I really enjoy, and the thing I'm doing at the moment is the bit that I really hate. No, I like. I mean, I, 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 do, I like the rec- I like. I like it all actually.
1: Has it varied much from book to book your process, or has it stayed? Yeah, is it, it
0: has. I'm becoming more and more of a. Pl- with every book I've written, I'm becoming more and more of a planner. Before mm-hmm. I go see if I didn't plan, I pretty much started with this vague idea of who my character was, and and you know I kind of knew the situation that she was in. Although actually, I'd already started. I'd already started the first draft. It was about I don't know maybe ten thousand words in before I actually knew the, the twist. Shall we say, you know, the truth yeah. at the heart of the book that if no one, you know, <laughs> for those who haven't read it. So I kind of just felt my way through that. I just, I, I, that's, that's a book I pantsed, to use the kind of plan of pantser terminology, pretty much. And then, yeah, with each subsequent book, I've planned it a little bit more. And the, other, and the new, so the new one I'm writing at the moment, yeah, I've, got it, I've got it all all kind of planned out. But even, even when I have something planned out, it kind of, I need to leave a bit of wooliness in my plan so I can embellish. And, you know, because things occur to me as I'm writing, you know, and I think if you have too rigid a plan, you yeah. end up killing some of this spontan. Well, obviously, you kill some of the spontaneity that you can get if you if you don't have any plan at all. But I learnt to my cost. If I have no plan at all, I end up just writing myself into corners that I can't get out of and have a thought again.
1: Yeah, you need to have that room to play still. If you yeah, need it. exactly.
2: Yeah. Did you find that as you started planning a little bit more strictly, does the process of producing your, I guess, first draft does that get quicker once you've done more planning? like start to finish um, or is there not much in it because obviously if you're not planning you're not spending the time on planning either
0: I mean I d- ask me in a year <laughs> <laughs> the reason the reason I say that is because my, my last two books p- published books both taken me a very long time but that was for very I was for a, a mixture of reasons that were mostly personal so at the moment the book I'm writing at the moment I, I kind of when did I start it probably I started it seriously in April, May, maybe. Can you
1: trust your memory on that? Are you sure? Uh,
0: no, I can't trust it. I'm <laughs> yes. kind of making up. It was definitely sort of, yeah, kind of like early summer, perhaps. April, May, probably. Anyway, roughly around then. And I'm doing all right at the moment. I've got it all planned out and I've got quite a lot of it written. So if, in theory, by the end of this year, that'll all be done, wow. which will be lightning quick for me. That will, actually, when I say that, it'll be as quick as Before I Go to Sleep was. See, before I Go to Sleep wasn't planned. And I, and I wrote the first draft of that in Seven months, wow. which is yeah. So it feels quite quick at the moment. In terms of you know, it's it's all flowing, and I'm quite a, tr- a big chunk through, and I, and I have the rest of it planned out. But you know, I might read it in November and think, oh god, this is shit. <laughs> <laughs> hopefully not but.
2: I'm sure it won't be. I think it's unlikely yeah. we've had quite a few people say as well that they really don't enjoy the editing process what are your feelings on that part um, of
0: it yeah I mean the, the, I think the first edit I do find difficult mm. as in when so I've written the first draft and, I, and, and and you know I have that moment of thinking "Oh, I've finished I mean I know I haven't finished
2: yeah I just,
0: <laughs> oh, I've finished i finished a draft I've just got to edit it now and then I always try and leave a bit of a gap so I spend a bit of time away from the book if I can and then and then it can be depressing because you go I then go back to the, the first edit and read what I've got in the first draft which I, I thought was great and you know 95% there and I just need to tidy a few things up and add in a few you know and then I read it and think oh my god none of this works <laughs> um you know, it always feels worse than it actually is. So I don't, I don't enjoy that stage. No, but, but, in, but, you know, again, by the same token, I'd sort of do because not only are you seeing the problems and the things that you hadn't realized were problems, but you, but also you're seeing something, you're seeing what it can become. So the challenge just then becomes to try and shift, you know, slightly shift, it's a shift of focus into making it as good as it can be and, and drawing out what's in there. So usually when I when I sit down to read to start at uh, the first edit in particular I have I have like a a few hours of despair and googling <laughs> other jobs that I can do. You know, and, um,
2: <laughs> What's the backup job? In the the backup, I
0: don't know. <laughs> I don't think you
1: need
2: NHS it. are always hiring. So. Well,
0: yeah, but I'm completely de-skilled now. It's it's a very you know I would have to retrain and no, so mm-hmm. I think that that option is. Uh, no, I wouldn't do that.
1: I think you'll I be know, all right as a writer, you know. I think you're you're going to do okay. <laughs> no, but, you
0: know, I, I have that. I mean, that's the thing. I've, I have that few hours of like, oh fuck. Um, but but then but then actually, I get I sort of roll up my sleeves and get to it, and I quite enjoy it. Then um, you know, because it's it, I can make quite quite quick progress through the edit. It depends on you know how much needs yeah. doing, but yeah, I quite like I, quite, I do quite like the editing stage once I'm in it. But the thought of it, yeah, it feels a bit sort of oh. Again,
2: <laughs> I actually.
0: The, 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 I think the thing I hate the most actually is around the copy editing stage mm-hmm. when someone else is pointing out that you've reused a word here and 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 you've got the wrong. You, you've mentioned a flower that smelling a flower that doesn't actually have a smell that was happening before I go to sleep and and it, but even then it's not because it's difficult work. It's just kind of laborious. Mm. Yeah, petty. Um, yeah, well, it's not. I, th- I think it's not petty because it's. It, I know what you mean. Yeah. Mm. But it feels it, I suppose. But actually, that it that, that is also the kind of fu- the pol- the polish that actually mm. makes makes the book shine. But when you're kind of laboriously going through page after page after page of someone else's, yeah, relatively minor tweaks, it, it feels a bit sort of, I suppose, because there's not that much creativity in that. By that, mm. point. I almost feel like emailing the back and saying, "Well, can you just do it? Can you it just?" A- <laughs> For you to just do it, pick another flower. I don't
2: know, yeah. <laughs> whatever. <Yeah. laughs> this is basically my whole thought process through the work day, to be honest. Yeah. You're very yeah. lucky it to yourself. have you, Sarah. Yeah.
1: <laughs> yes. And the time
0: you spent writing this letter, you could have just bloody done it.
1: Oh, God. Yeah, yeah seriously, put that on my tombstone. Yeah. Yeah. I also, so you obviously are a, a writer and you're very supportive of other authors and things, as we talked about your book club that you do on Twitter. I know you also do a writing workshop as well.
0: Yeah, the Writer's Lodge. I kinda yeah. set that up earlier. God, oh, what's wrong with my crop? crop I have no what month are we in now? We're in September. Almost finished actually.
2: It's almost September. Yeah. It's been a weird few years. Yeah, it has. Yeah. The whole kind of
0: chronology has disappeared. I think it was earlier this year, it might have been late last year I started the Writer's Lodge. It was it's uh, the idea is it's just a, a newsletter I sent out I send out twice a, a month with with kind of tips and tricks and, and thoughts about the writing process because I think You know, there's a lot of stuff out there and and for every one person that, you know, you get a group of people that will say, well, you need to write every day and you've got to write at least a thousand words a day. And then, but actually there are lots of people out there who are like, I haven't got time for that. You know, people, most people, even published authors, let alone, uh, you know, aspiring authors have to fit in their writing around other commitments, if not, if not Mm -hmm. full-time day job, So uh, it's, it's, I'm just, I just try and support people because, you know, I remember what it was like to... To be that person who kind of desperately wanted to write a book and to feel I'd written a book and to feel that I'd, you know, it was always a burning ambition of mine. Um, even when I was training to be an audiological scientist and working in the health service, it was still there as an ambition. And I think the publishing industry can feel like a very closed club, you know, a very exclusive, mm-hmm. cliquey club that is difficult impossible to get into. And, and, and you do get a lot of negative stories about how difficult it is to get published and how little money there is in it if you do get published and how hard it is to get you know blah 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 and yeah a lot of that stuff is kind of true but but you need also I think you need the other voice going yeah but it's worth doing and here's some tips and why don't you try this and I just try and be that person I just try and be that kind of someone who's a cheerleader for unpublished writers or aspiring writers or even people who think oh maybe I'd like to have a go at that because what's the worst that can happen you know
1: crippling rejection or something well
0: but. yeah <laughs> I suppose
1: <laughs> apart but from in that I try and
0: help people through the crippling side of it
1: oh that's nice this is why you're a nice person like we said in the bio. <laughs> and obviously you read a lot as well because as I mm-hmm. say so you, you, you do a lot to support other authors and talk about their new books and things what was the last book that you read and loved
0: um I really really loved a book called Hawk Mountain Ooh. by Connor Habib which came out I don't know. A couple of months ago, I think it's an incredibly. It's a bit. It's a bit undefinable in a way. It, it's kind of literary fiction, or it's a, with a bit of a psychological thriller element to it, and but also sort of close to horror, but not in a kind of ghosts, vampires, scary monsters kind of way. In a much more of a psychological, you know, it's all very rooted in reality in what people can do to each other. But it's it's a really it's a really brilliantly written and very very dark, very dark. It's I like dark.
1: Yeah. <laughs> Welcome to the club.
0: Yeah. Um, so, Hawk Mountain, it's a story of, um, of a school teacher who, it's set in New England, I think, mm. a school teacher who moves to a new town with his son. He's estranged from his wo- from his what? Wo- I think they're married. Anyway, the, the mother of his son. They're estranged. And so, he takes his son and then he, he's on the beach one day and apparently accidentally bumps into the person who bullied him mercilessly at high school. Oh. You know, a re- apparently is a reformed character full of remorse and sorrow, and it's the story of what happens next. doesn't Ooh. end with anybody,
1: really. Uh, but
0: it's very good. It's very good. So Hawk Mountain is my top recommendation.
1: That sounds really good.
0: Yeah.
2: And slightly different. I mean, we read a lot of crime fiction and mm. non-fiction, more we'll so fiction, obviously for the podcast. And um, I really like it when it's not just a straight crime Book mm. these cross genres. um Like we interviewed Emma stonex mm. uh, well months ago now I think, yeah, and obviously way. her book *Lamplighters* mm. is, is very much one of these mishmashes of genres. Absolutely, um, yeah.
0: Like, is it a ghost I Really is enjoy it. it, it like, missing it. person story? Is it? A, yeah, yeah, love story. I love all that. You know, that's a, that's kind of, and it, it's always it's always interesting. I think when a book like that kind of manages to slip through, <laughs> if you can hear a strange noise, that's my. <laughs>
2: It's not you. It's not sure me. Sure,
0: it's though. not. <laughs> it's my pug. I have pugs and they're doing this thing called reverse breathing, which I think is when they... It's a bit like hiccuping for a dog. <sighs> oh, um, so that's what that's true <laughs> You could hear it.
1: my soundtrack.
0: Um, it's very worrying the first time it happens because it sounds like they're gasping for breath, but she's fine. <laughs> yeah, because I think the publishing industry can be very risk-averse, especially now mm. it's getting more and more risk-averse. And so, you know, yeah. often you hear stories of a book being rejected because it doesn't quite fit into the genre and so it's always exciting when a book manages to slip through because even, even though it doesn't neatly fit into a genre and yeah I think the yeah The Lamp Nights is a really good example of that I love that book as well
2: yeah so I guess along those lines what typical crime genre trope are oh, you I... sick of we nearly asked you what's the worst book you've read recently but oh it seemed well cruel. I,
0: mean, that so... would, I wouldn't have answered because did we <laughs>
2: I nearly did. <laughs> <You
0: monster. laughs> this is this is why I, do, I don't I know, I don't review books. The only I do do a a, week, a monthly column in Perspective magazine in which I, I I my thriller of the month, but that that's one in which I I get to choose the book and positive uh, yeah. and it's and it's positive. I would never I would never review books because you know I've read a book recently that I thought was absolutely shit. <laughs> But I wouldn't. I wouldn't. That's just uh, partly. That's just my taste. You know, it just wasn't yeah. for me. It doesn't necessarily mean it's a bad book. Although, sidebar in this case, it was <laughs> for many reasons. Partly, you know, I might, I may well be bumping into this person at mm. some point, and, mm. but also, it, who, who am I to diminish someone's, you, you know, years, months, if not years, of someone's work? So, mm. uh, yeah. So I, I don't, I don't tend to ever give bad reviews publicly, anyway. <laughs>
1: We do the same, I have to say. We kind of review on this podcast yeah. and we do, but i always really conscious of within that, Bearing in mind that also everybody's tastes are completely different. So one thing Mm. I don't like other people might love, uh, which is often the case I've found, you know, it's just, it's a matter of opinion. But also, as you say, so much work goes into it. And even just the, the achievement of writing a book, I think is so incredible. Well, yeah,
0: exactly. You
1: can't really, you know, be too, uh, the one, the thing that blows my mind is when people tag the author, like a one-star review, why would you do that? That's just the most horrible thing. Yeah,
0: Yeah, I find that baffling. Yeah,
1: just don't tag them. Just leave them alone. I think
0: people think that we're somehow impervious to criticism because I suppose maybe there's an element of envy or or, or belief that, you know, that we're. it's almost like, I mean, I I suppose I can only imagine it's the same way that I I have thought about musicians in the past because I'm a big fan of music. And so Mm -hmm. I sort of think, well, what, you know, if I don't like a Cure record, Robert Smith doesn't give a shit what I think, but I would still (laughs) never tag him in. You know, yeah. to, to a to a review, you know, probably wouldn't give a shit. But you know, but actually, authors we're we fragile people. You know? Of
1: course, you're artists.
0: <laughs> I, th- I mean, I'm kind of I'm old enough and ugly enough to I'm kind of over it now. It doesn't. I don't really care. I don't read reviews anymore at all, which is a healthier. Huge, it was a huge uh, um, weight off my shoulders when I decided to stop reading my Amazon reviews and Goodreads and whatever. I never go anywhere near Goodreads.
2: Mm, um, really?
0: It's not for me, you know. People aren't. People aren't. But I do feel for for you know new authors who have are really excited because their books come out and and then you get Mrs. Smith in Hartlepool who doesn't like it because you've on page four or whatever. And I, you know Mrs. Smith has every Write to her opinion, but you don't sure. need to tell the person who wrote the book.
1: This is the thing. I don't think Mrs. Smith would appreciate it if that author went to her job and went up to her and went, you are shit at your job and I'm going exactly. to tell you why. Yeah. And I want you to hear it. Yeah. People. Yeah, they,
0: exactly. Exactly. Yeah. I
1: can't
0: remember who it was, but I mean, years ago, someone told me a story of, might have been in the States. It might have been Tess Gerritsen who told me this about the States, but they, they they piloted a new scheme in which you could rank teachers, you could rate teachers. Oh. And uh, oh. people, people took their own life because of Jesus. You know,
1: yeah, it's all you know. We're
0: all we're all imposter syndrome is huge with everybody, and you know I think just because you've had a book published doesn't necessarily mean that you're impervious. Well, it doesn't mean you're impervious to criticism. It doesn't mean it. Mm. It, it can it can feel very personal.
1: Yeah, of course, really? especially with the tagging. But yeah. with that in mind, now you can tell us which trope you hate.
0: I was going to get away with that. Nope. I, I was thinking about this, but and I can't really name one because it's it's a little bit like. There isn't one really that, they all fulfill a purpose, Mm. you know, the dead body on page, you know, you could say I'm sick of a dead body on page one, but to to destroy that, to get rid of that trope, you would be destroying most of crime fiction, you know, Mm. Mm. there's the alcoholic detective is overdone, but also, you know, you can't have a detective character who is... Not an alcoholic and not and not addicted to anything and has a great relationship with their partner and beautiful <laughs> a lovely relationship with their with their teenage daughter or son. Or you, you can't. You, every you know, it's on. First of all, it's unrealistic, and second of all, a book would be really boring with with only perfect characters whose lives were lovely. Mm. So you know, there are all these tropes are kind of there, but. They all fulfil a purpose. I think it's when they're done badly, or, or cynically, or mm. when it feels a bit kind of cookie cutter, as though someone's writing to a formula. That's when I. That's when I've. I'm, I'm avoiding answering the question. Aren't I? <laughs> I think it, you know it's a, it's sort of, <laughs> you can't have you can't have a thriller, especially or a psychological thriller, especially without a, without a twist. These books are kind of predicated yeah. on twists, but and is a twist a trope? Not really, but sometimes I do think. The twist, the the need for a twist can feel a bit overdone, and 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 you you can end up with. I mean, I've read books where I've just thought, well, that's ridiculous. Yeah, so, um, especially
1: it's come up with something brand new that no one's seen before at this point mm. you have to get a bit ridiculous with it i would think well cause, yeah because
0: everything has been yeah. done and i think i think i mean this is one of the, the things i want to talk about at my uh the panel i'm doing at capital of crime later this week um or it might be several weeks ago depending on when this goes out but...
1: <laughs> well there you go keep it in anyway
0: <laughs> <laughs> you know i i'm I, I'm talking with some of the authors of these books that have this kind of high concept, big twist books. And I'm quite, because I'm quite, I am one, you know, before I go to sleep, especially um, kind of relies on its twists. And I'm it, it kind of, I'm fascinated by when twists can be a bad thing mm. and when actually, when a book is sold on, you know, when on the front j- jacket of a book or in the, you know, it says that a, a twist will take your breath away. I think yeah. that can be really counterproductive because the reader just ends up reading it, for the looking twins. for it yeah and of course when a twist is done really well it comes out of nowhere and knocks you sideways because you you both you know it both feels absolutely like how could i have possibly seen that coming and at the same time of course that's obvious it's that it was been staring me in the face since page 1 you know when when those two things which is incredibly difficult to do you know when you manage to get those two the reader to feel both of those at the same time both yeah. complete shock and also complete inevitability that's yeah. a great moment. But I've only ever read like, I don't know, three books that have got like that in it. Re- really, really, you know, wow kind of twist. It's really difficult to pull off. Yeah, for so.
1: Sure. Yeah. I always think, I mean, do. You ever seen the show Inside Number Nine?
0: Uh, a couple of episodes. Not. I don't watch it religiously, but I've seen a few of them.
1: Yeah. Yeah, I'm, I'm a big fan of it, and I've seen them do kind of panels and Q and As. And always says people are always like, "What's the twist? What's the twist? Like, why does it have to be a fucking twist in every yeah. episode? He's like, "We've written yeah. so many. We're running yeah. out of twists. Like, leave us yeah. alone. But you're right. But it, it creates that kind of that expectation going into it. Like, well, I'm gonna, I'm preparing to be blown away by this twist.
0: Yeah, and I the think somewhere. you know there is. You can. I mean. I don't know if you remember, you probably don't, you probably weren't born actually when it was out, but there used to be a show called Tales of the Unexpected.
1: I know the show.
0: Yeah, I mean, I think they still, I watched it a few years ago, they repeat it on one of the, one of the you know, channels. But I remember that, it didn't really have twists, but it had surprises. And mm. they, they're kind of different, but they can be just as effective. I mean, I remember one where, well, it's called Tales of the Unexpected, so of course it had surprises in you know? it.
1: You um, didn't expect it. I remember one
0: where there was there was a... a it, what it was was a snake had crawled into this guy. I was only a child when it was on. I mean, we're going back a long time ago now. But
2: no. a snake
0: had crawled into this child's... A poisonous snake. I think it was in Africa or something. Or India or maybe. I don't know. But anyway, it, it crawled into this this guy's bed. And so he was just lying there completely motionless in case the snake bit him. <clears> I mean, this the story was he was mem- remembering... I think it was a battle with alcohol, actually. Anyway, blah, 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 blah. And then... He looks down after this kind of extended flashback and the snake's gone. And he's so kind of, oh, thank God, you know, I've survived. I'm giving away the end now, but whatever. He's so like, oh, thank God I've survived, that he reaches for the one bottle of vodka that he still has in the house to remind himself never to drink again. He's kept this bottle of vodka as a kind of, you know, reminder to you know be strong. And he reaches for it, thinking I deserve a drink after that. And, of course, the snake is hiding behind the bottle and bites him. And it's like, that's not a twist as such. That's not a kind Mm. of, it doesn't change everything we've watched, but it's still an amazing surprise, yeah, and so I don't know why I told that story.
1: Surprises, not twists, yeah, it's, a, it's still as powerful, I think. Stuff, that's... It
0: can be, yeah, absolutely, mm. as, yeah, as unexpected and as, yeah, and as as great, yeah.
2: I am, though, going to put you on the spot now. If you don't have an answer, that's okay. You said you've read like three books with truly amazing <laughs> twists. Can you name any of them off the top of your head? Yes, I'm really I interested. Can.
0: I thought Fingersmith. Ooh. Uh, by Sarah Waters, has, has an amazing twist. Oh. not until what it is, obviously, because I don't want to ruin it if you haven't read it. But it No,
2: please don't. I yeah. haven't. It
0: really is. I mean, that was probably, of all the twists in any of the books that I've ever read, that is the one that made me... I re- definitely had that. Well, of course, <laughs> all the way through, this has been obvious. and but, but also impossible to predict. So that's one. Maxine May Fong Chong, I think is her surname. There's a book called The Eighth Girl. Mm-hmm. That had a twist. Well, it has, it, it, that has. A, if I remember right, that has like a double twist. So you think you've reached the twist, and then there's another one at the end.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: That's genius. But I don't know whether it's giving too much away to say that that twist is actually highlighted. You get to the twist, and then you think it's in the fucking title. <laughs> that's how. <laughs> that's how kind of well written it is.
2: Okay. It's actually
0: yep. in the title, and yet Brilliant. you don't see it.
2: Yeah. Mm-hmm. So
0: that's, that's another one. And then the other one I really, really, I mean, actually, there are more than three because more are coming all the time. But the one I really love is, um, well, actually, this is a good example of how a twist can ruin a book, in a way. Ooh. But I love Fight Club, so we'll go with Fight Club That's yeah, great, yeah.
2: A yeah. twist and Fight Club. Oh, and also Sixth Sense,
0: so which I know that's oh. not a book, it's a film, but sorry, one of my dogs has spotted a seagull.
1: They've
2: always spotted a seagull. Oh. Yeah. That's that's um, it's funny you've said Sixth Sense, because when you were talking about how these twists get hyped up and hyped up, mm. I've never seen Sixth Sense or read it but it was so hyped up at the time about this massive yeah. twist that I worked out what it was yeah. without knowing anything about exactly. it. Because and, yeah.
0: it was like... I, I have another, I know another person who that exact same thing, he, that he went into it thinking there's a great twist here. And uh, uh, cause I know there is because everyone's talking about it. And yeah. then it was like, he was expecting another twist at the end. Cause he was like, <laughs> well, from, from the beginning I knew.
1: Yeah. Oh, yeah. Blah
0: blah The other one I really like is Michelle Faber's Under the Skin. Mm. Um, but that's another one that it's a good example of that. my friend gave me this book and said, You have to read this, it's got the most amazing twist. You will not see it coming. And the twist act the twist in Inverticormas actually happens about a third like less than a third of the way in. Oh. So I was expect I read the whole rest of the book expecting there to be another <laughs> twist. Because that's not what twists <laughs> are supposed to happen, that's supposed to happen at the end. Um, nice. yeah it can do a disservice to a book but mm. yeah they're, they're they're some of my favorites good recommendation
2: Aww, thank you and
0: if you take any take listeners out there if you, any take home message that you get from this podcast is read fingersmith if you're like if you're a fan of a twist read fingersmith it's it's okay. an amazing moment when you, when it happens
1: sarah and i'd go read fingersmith i think
2: i was gonna say you've sold me
0: Gone Girl's got a great twist. Gone too, Girl's I mean. good, yeah. yeah I yeah, love that good. because I don't know if, well, I, I imagine it's not coincidence because 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 I'm a nerd, I looked, I worked it out, it's exactly halfway through. Oh, it's like just almost to the page. In fact, I think to the oh, page,
1: wow. Wow.
0: it's halfway through and you're like, oh, and it changes everything. Yeah. That's really interesting because it changes the book from being a crime, like a straight sort of a police procedure almost, it becomes something, it becomes a different genre. Yeah. Mm. You cheated and it has two genres there. Yeah, but yeah. Anyone who hasn't read Gone Girl,
1: another great adaptation of the film as well. The Gone yeah, Girl film. Yeah. David Fincher, yeah. was so good. Yeah, oh, very good. Well, also you mentioned before that you like dark, so you've come mm. to the right place, Steve. Because we're <laughs> going to get a little bit dark now. I am afraid that I have some terrible news for you. Right, Sarah loves it when I do this because it's <laughs> my favorite part. <laughs> <laughs> Steve. You've committed a horrendous crime.
0: I thought you were going to keep that to yourself. I told you that in confidence. <laughs> well, I'm afraid, I
1: am know. The thing is, I couldn't because it was that <laughs> awful. Um, and unfortunately, as a result of me snitching, apparently, <laughs> I wouldn't really snitch on you, Steve. You have, have been now been, you've been arrested. You've been tried and you're being sent down. You're going to death row, unfortunately. Right. Okay. It's that bad. I also like to ask at this point, what crime did you commit, do you think, that sent you to death row? <laughs> We've had some interesting answers to this question as well. <laughs> <laughs>
0: well,
1: I, I think you want to. I consent. was asked
0: this on another podcast, and it still remains. I think if anything was going to kick the sense of Tethroat, it would be playing the same song over and over again.
1: Oh, that's unforgivable! Yeah, that you need to be what, wiped what off the earth.
2: What song would it
0: be? Well, like it varies because it's like when when a, when a musician I like releases a new song, I become obsessed, and then yeah. I would play it over and over. I live alone, so at the moment it's only the two dogs that have to suffer this. But when I when I <laughs> when I had a partner, I'm sure that. um That uh, he would have been very tempted to see me sent to death for for (laughs) playing Safari by the Breeders so often that he was so sick of it. It's only two minutes long as well, so I'd like to play it 60 times.
1: (laughs) um, What's the latest song that you've been playing too much? Oh, gosh. Um, This is the one that's getting you sent down to. I'm getting
0: really into St. Vincent at the moment, so I've been, but but not, there's a, on her new record, well, latest record, I'm not sure when it came out, there's a song called Pay Your Way in Pain. Oh. So that's been being paid. And I sing along now as well, which is even worse. But I, can say, <laughs> I live alone, so only my neighbour has to suffer that. But that's what it would be When the, when the Rossers turn up to arrest me, it'll be it. my, my neighbour's like, I can't bear
1: it anymore. That's it. Your neighbours turned on you. They were the ones actually that sitting yeah. down. So there you go. Careful with your neighbours. <laughs> so you, you're going to die. Sorry about right. that. Yeah. But the good news is uh, we're going to make you a death row meal of your dreams before oh, wow. it happens. Right. So what would your death row meal be?
0: You are talking to someone who can spend hours in a restaurant trying to start from a limit, fairly limited number of things. <laughs> every, oh, meal, every meal feels like it might be the last one I ever have. Because
1: <laughs> you keep I playing these songs, choose, Steve. <laughs>
0: I've got to choose right correctly. Um, you know, I think it would be something really, really simple, like a pizza,
1: Okay, but if you ask me
0: what toppings I want on it, I would (laughs) need quite a long time to decide.
1: Wow, do you not have a go-to pizza that you like all?
0: Not really, actually. I mean, I've got yeah, I've got there's a there's a revolving repertoire of pizza toppings, okay, or or pizza you know styles or types. I have to have mozzarella. Mm. Yeah, the idea of pizza without just like why would you do that to
1: yourself? I agree. Why would you deny yourself that? Especially when you're about to be killed. Well, yeah. Know. So we yeah. definitely
0: have, you know, obviously the tomato and mozzarella, that's a given. Sure. I love mushrooms.
1: Chuck some on there, yeah. some that?
0: mushrooms on it. Past that, though, I just trust the chef, really.
1: You're trusting the prison chef? Okay.
0: <laughs> <laughs> You're cooking it for me.
1: Okay, no, we'll get someone good in. We'll get the good chef Goat's
0: in. cheese. I like a bit of goat's cheese.
1: Okay. With the mozzarella. The a cheese, maybe a three cheese situation.
0: Why stop at three when I have five cheese?
1: Ten cheese <laughs> Eight cheese. A cheese board Old pizza. Cheese's pizzas. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That would make for quite the ending, I would it think. Would, yeah. <laughs>
0: And banoffee yeah. pie for dessert, please.
1: Oh, good choice. That was a firm one. There was no debate around. Oh, that.
0: Oh no, that's, yeah, that's on. The, although I did go through, a, I went through a crème brûlée period, but now I'm back back in my banoffee pie. God, no, I'm hungry.
2: <laughs> your banoffee pie era, so <laughs> yeah, Taylor yeah, Swift. Yeah. <laughs> Okay, so you've gone down. Uh, hopefully your body hasn't just exploded from all the cheese.
0: Or <laughs> um, well, well, hopefully it has. Depends on what method you're going to use to kill me. Maybe maybe that's the way to go, yeah.
2: It just... sounds like a Gouda way to go. Oh, Frankie, yes. Gouda is a cheese joke. It's good Gouda yeah. Sorry. She, she loves a pun. Um, <laughs> so you are in your cheesy... Often. I was about to say, I can't
0: um, relieve it, but that would be a terrible
2: Oh, it's good. I can and bear it. <laughs> Sorry.
1: Sorry, Sarah, carry on.
2: <laughs> I'm going to leave. Um, what book would you choose to be buried with?
0: If this question is really just asking what my favourite book is, I think it would probably, well, it would be a toss up between Rebecca. Oh, great book. Which I think Enjoy. probably still ranks as my favourite book.
1: It's interesting. People take this question in different ways. Some people assume it's a favourite. Other people think it's the book that's going to accompany them on the river Styx and there's the, the, the travelling <laughs>
0: Yeah, I don't believe any of that shit. So no, it's just like...
1: <laughs> cool. So favourite book for you. Absolutely fine.
0: I mean, maybe if there's like a penguin guide to digging yourself out of a shallow grave, maybe that, just in case I'm not actually dead. Um, mm. I doubt that there is. You
1: exploded from cheese, Steve. Oh, that's true.
0: <laughs>
2: There's
0: nothing left to dig out. <laughs> <No>. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Um, I don't know. Maybe the, maybe there's a book that can, it just. No, I don't believe in reincarnation, so that would be as well. So yeah, let's go with Rebecca. Or oh, I mean, The Handmaid's Tale is another one. That's But crazy. that's that's.
1: It's not my favourite
0: book. It's not even my favourite Margaret Atwood book, to be honest. But it, it's been. It was quite instrumental in my journey to becoming a writer. So either that or Rebecca.
1: Well, now my next question is: What's your favourite Margaret Atwood book? Cat's Eye. Oh. Okay. See, mine's Oryx and Crake. I think. Oh
0: yeah, and that was one of my first actually. Yeah. I really like that too. Love Oryx and uh, Crake. That's up there, definitely.
1: That whole trilogy. Oh, she's mm. she's, she's she's quite good, isn't she? Emo Grant. She <laughs> is quite good. Yeah. She's, she's doing, she's I think right. she's going to make it. You know, yeah. yeah. I think she's doing all oh, right. Not, not bad. <laughs> mm.
0: But yeah, no, I love Cats Eye because I don't know. I think there's something about the themes of bullying and mm. the subtle psychological bullying that almost turns you into your own bully. You know, it's not. It's it's you end up bullying yourself. Because these people have created this belief in you that you are not worth. It. Anyway, yeah. So I just think she does it really, really well.
1: She's, yeah, she's quite, quite good. Yeah. Well, <laughs> speaking of good, interesting characters, if you had to be a character from one of your books, who would you be and why?
0: Ah, well, all the characters in my books are awful. So yeah, I was going to say <laughs>
1: Slim, slim Pickens. <laughs> yeah. A, yeah. <laughs> <laughs>
0: um, I'd be the character in my new book. Ooh. He has a lot. He's having a lot of fun at the moment.
1: Oh, okay. We had a little sneaky preview Um,
0: for fun. Well, uh, um,
1: what fun is he having?
0: He's exploring his sexuality.
1: Oh, that—that's not fun. Okay, yeah, Yeah. good for him.
0: Although he's not—he's not particularly. Yeah, he's gonna—he's gonna go through a bit of crap before he ends up in a good place again. But so, but yeah, he, in a way, kind of like he's—he's a little bit like a twenty-something-year-old version of me. So maybe I am him already. The other one that from a, one of my published books that people could actually read is um, the character Frosty in Second Life.
1: Okay, why Frosty? Well, it's always been an, She's always been an interesting character
0: for me because she came from nowhere. The name Frosty is a nickname, fairly mm. obviously, but yeah. it was just a placeholder name that I used because I was like, I need a name for this character as I am writing the first draft, and Frosty just came into my head, and then later down the line, I sort of thought, actually, that's the perfect nickname that this character would have Um, so it feels it felt almost like that wasn't a this is going to sound a bit wacky maybe but it felt almost like that wasn't a coincidence that was some kind of subconscious knowledge and also I think the reason I'd like to be her is because she's a character that has kind of stayed with me in terms of she's very peripheral in that book Mm. she barely but she she feels like she has a whole story that I haven't uncovered yet and told
1: would you tell it in a different way? Oh,
0: yeah, that, I have considered it actually, because mm. it wouldn't be a sequel or or a prequel to that. It would be a kind of I think of it as it would be like a crossover book, if mm. you like. So yeah. I could tell Frosty's story, and there'd be the one scene in which she's in second life. She's she features in second life, which would also be in. So I have thought about this, as you could probably tell. You're
1: but, creating your own universe.
0: Yeah, accidentally, but it
1: just she just feels like
0: a character that I haven't that hasn't been given the stage time that perhaps she deserves. Nice. Yeah. And also she's kind of quite current, I think, as in I mean, now now I would refer to her as a non-binary character, I suppose. But I mean I only I wrote that book in twenty fourteen, was it? And that wasn't really that that kind of terminology wasn't really being used then. So she's sort of no. you know, mm. um ahead of her time. Yeah. I think that's I think it may be. I mean I'm not saying I'm ahead you're of You're a mind.
1: genius, Steve, is I, what you're saying. I invented non binary. Yeah, no. <laughs> <laughs> you are ahead of your time.
0: <laughs> but I think I was just like thinking a lot about gender and sex and sexuality and yeah anyway so yeah she's she's one character i'd like i'd like to maybe not be because she's also a reformed heroin addict
2: well she's reformed
0: (laughs) that's good yeah well yeah exactly yeah
1: Yeah. with before i go to sleep you had a dream cast in that one Mm. who would you cast to play frosty in a film
0: oh god oh no um i'm rubbish with names anyway you see i told you this
1: was going to be a hard-hitting interview
0: (laughs) (laughs) Even if I had an idea on the tip of my tongue, I wouldn't be able to remember the kind of actor's yeah. name. I'd be going, yeah, that person is in that show. Oh, no, <laughs> that's she's great. Yeah,
2: yeah, yeah. That show
0: that's on at the moment, that person. And also, I don't know, uh, if, uh, pass. Okay. <laughs> we'll
2: <laughs> let you have a pass.
0: I'll go with Tilda <laughs> Swinton because she could play anybody, Ooh. but she's probably be wanting someone a little bit younger. A young Tilda Swinton. Oh. A young Tilda Swinton. Yeah, a young Tilda Swinton, please. Okay. okay. So it's, it's hypothetical anyway.
1: Sure. Yeah. And, and you're dead yeah. right now anyway, so it doesn't really matter.
0: Yeah.
1: <laughs> We're <With> suspending disbelief. But <laughs> Tilda Swinton's always a good shout. She's yeah. good in everything.
0: Yeah. And she's that's a that remarkable she's I think she's she's very, very androgynous. Yeah. And, mm. and very beautiful in a both in, in a kind of androgynous way.
1: I was even thinking Saint Vincent maybe has got a beautiful androgynous kind of guy mm, yeah,
0: yeah. as well. Yeah.
1: Yeah, she could yeah, she could do it okay cool we'll cast her we'll give her a call okay. yeah. <laughs> yeah. on it
0: yeah <laughs> we can turn it to musical if she likes you can write some songs
1: oh wow <laughs> this is getting good
0: yeah.
1: <laughs> thank you so much for answering all of our questions No, thank
0: you It's been really
1: fun Thank you, yes Thank you so much for coming on And again, I, I resisted saying this so far But Steve and I met at Harrogate um, I've said this about all the last few authors Because I've, I've had so many lovely authors come on As a result of Harrogate Which is yeah. great But uh, you, right off the bat from meeting you You were so up for it And so supportive of coming on the podcast And I just want to really appreciate that Because I know how busy you are thank And you how much do. you have on So thank you so much for your time It's been a delight to see you And I
0: get to just sit in a chair surrounded at at home, (laughs) talk about myself (laughs) and my favourite books.
1: It's
0: not hard work.
2: Well, well, it's still much appreciated.
1: (laughs) I really enjoyed it. So you've obviously you've got final cuts, your latest book. Your next book's hopefully out next year.
0: Uh, ideally, I mean, I don't know because I'd probably have to be delivering it sort of roundabout now for to get. Ah, we'll see though. how it goes. <laughs> um, yeah. um, we'll see.
1: And where can people follow you on social media?
0: Everywhere. Um, yeah. So Twitter is sj underscore Watson, and so is Instagram. I recently started doubling in TikTok, but I'm more of a lurker there at the moment.
1: Oh yeah, me too. I
0: mean, I have put a few videos up there, mostly featuring the dogs
1: brilliant i'm gonna go follow you on that now
0: they're not really very book related but i think tiktok on am underscore watson as well
1: consistently I mean,
0: sd underscore, underscore watson in most in most places but my website would would, would lead you to uh, to all of my social media presences <laughs>
2: Perfect. Lovely. Thank you very much. And people can follow us at Red and Buried Podcast on Instagram, Twitter. Did I get it wrong, Frankie? No, you
1: did it right. I was just curious because Sarah always forgets the name of the podcast, Steve. So I was just (laughs) going to see if she could make it through that. But she did. Good
2: job. (laughs) Your face, you looked
1: horrified. Um, (laughs) I saw you were going to show me up in front of Steve. It's such a
0: good title as well. I can't believe it hasn't already been used. Red and Buried. I mean, it's perfect.
2: I know. I had the exact same thing. Nab that. Yeah. No, we? Frankie did very well. I once spent like five minutes searching "Dead and Buried" on Instagram and wondering yeah. why the podcast wasn't coming up. So <laughs> Yeah,
1: it's a very equal partnership. Yeah. <laughs> and if you've got any uh, ideas for future authors you'd like us to speak to on the podcast, or you just want to send us an email, you can do that at deadandburiedpodcast at gmail dot com. So thanks for listening, everyone, and yes,
0: we'll be
2: back soon. Thank you. Bye. Bye.
0: Thank you. Hello, and this is Chucky Vision on the We Made This Network, the podcast for all things Chucky. I'm Dev Elson. And I'm Mark Adams. We're two queer podcasters who love bloody horror, camp comedy, gay romance, and referencing icons like Freddy, Jason, and Brittany. The Chucky films and new TV show deliver all of that, and there is still so much more to cover. So, if you want to play, find Chucky Vision on Twitter at Chucky Vision and on all good podcast providers. And yes, the title is a Chuckle Vision pun, because why not?